0: You have the American dream. You run your own business. But running a business turns out to be more than you thought. It's a pain in the neck. You're not getting where you want to go. You're not getting what you want to get. And you're working 97 hours a week. (laughs) We're here to help you fix that. This is the Small Business Celebration Podcast. I am your host, Michael Roberts, and on this podcast, you can learn something that you can use today to grow a strong and profitable business.
1: Dave Plulich, I own the Marcom Group. I enjoy listening to the podcast just because you're getting to see such a diversity of people and the way they've achieved what they've achieved, and there's just always something different, a little tidbit a different angle or something else that they've had to overcome and that that's being shared with others is just phenomenal.
0: Before we begin our interview with this week's successful small business visioneer, I want to take a moment and thank you, the listener, for listening to the Small Business Celebration podcast. If you're listening to this podcast for the first time, you're about to hear an example of why, after several thousand downloads in just over a year, small business owners, CEOs, CFOs, partners, general managers, and presidents download the Small Business Celebration podcast in record numbers on a weekly basis. We want to thank the tremendous content that our visioneer guests continue to provide this podcast, our sponsors, and you, Visioneer Nation, who have subscribed to this podcast, internalize our guests a valuable insight, and because of it, are growing a strong and profitable business. And we thank you. Our guest this week is Robert Brunfield, the owner of the Brunfield Law Group. Welcome to the Small Business Celebration Podcast. Well, thank you. Glad to be here. For our listeners who are unfamiliar with who you are, tell us who it is that you are and what it is that you do.
1: Well, I've been a practicing lawyer in Bakersfield since 1986. I actually a lawyer a couple of years before that, so this is my <laughs> 36th year, hard to believe. But I'm originally from New Orleans, Louisiana. My family's most all from the southern states. Made it out to California in the early 70s, where I went to high school and, and law school met my wife at San Luis Obispo in a college. We both went to law school together. She came back down to Bakersfield to work with her dad, who was a longtime lawyer here in town. A, a fellow a lot of locals may know named, named Jack Hislop was his name. Mm-hmm. Jack passed a few years ago, but Lorna's still involved in the court systems, and I'm here practicing on my, my own law firm. Where I mainly focus on areas of a lot of real estate work, a lot of estate planning, some general business consultations, as in formations, dissolutions, et cetera, businesses. Just some general business advice to, and I act as a, of counsel to some small businesses as their general counsel.
0: And one of the things that you're also noted for are contracts.
1: True. I do have a lot of contract work, whether it would be typical supplier-vendor situation or oil field work or real estate contracts, as in leases, purchase and sale agreements, and those type of matters.
0: And all the stuff that goes into the fine print. There's lots of fine print.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And the fine print should always be read.
0: (laughs) With COVID-19 going on, what has your practice seen a significant uptick
1: in? Well, I think a number of people are taking it to heart that they have an opportunity to plan their business future or their personal future, Mm. which has resulted in a lot of people catching up on their long-neglected estate plans. And that's been at a higher level than it would be normally before the coronavirus and the COVID issues hit us. So people are taking it to heart that they have a little free time, and they seem to be overall putting it to pretty good use on their legal matters. Business transactions haven't stopped. When this first hit, I was involved with three pretty large transactions and both sides are still are pushing forward to get them done without any delay. COVID hasn't affected that. Now, the longer this goes, I mean, I certainly can project transactions may take a break here pretty soon. Right. But it is a good opportunity for people to get their business planning and personal planning together.
0: One of the other things about... The current covid nineteen situation, and for those listeners who are wondering, yes, Bob and I are having this conversation in person, mm-hmm. but we are socially distant, or yeah, as right. my youngest son says, emotionally distant too, but <laughs> yeah, right. we are at opposite
1: ends of a conference table that is true that is true
0: <laughs> one of the other things about the covid nineteen crisis that's going on is a lot of business owners are taking the time to for the first time for a lot of us because mm-hmm. we've mm-hmm. actually had a chance to breathe because it's been forced upon us yeah right is to start taking a look at our businesses and our estate planning for business owners that have been putting it off for a very long time take just a brief moment and explain why is it important to do estate planning for in case something happens to the business owner how's all that go to work and put together
1: right when you say estate planning or business planning that's certainly a large uh, a large topic with lots of parts below it but the importance of estate planning as it relates to a business i would say is in ensuring that the business can succeed and move forward if you're not there hmm. whether it's disability or you actually pass away there are many valuable businesses out there that need to establish, in essence, a succession plan, which then you hear the phrase succession planning sometimes. That's part of it. As part of your estate plan, your succession planning for your business. And that's what a lot of people need to understand about. It's not just putting your will and your trust together or your powers of attorney for health care and financial management. It's not just that, which is important. I certainly emphasize you need to have those basic documents done. But it also is vital if you want your business to survive. And there are many family businesses in this area, and probably every area really, mm-hmm. that need these type of plans in place. And the next generation either needs to be trained to handle the business or at least know what the succession plan is.
0: Right. And this is also important for the employees of the business as well, so that they understand that there is a plan in action in case the owner gets COVID-19 and is out right. and doesn't right. come back.
1: Oh, sure. I mean, it adds a bit of a lack of a better phrase, maybe a security blanket to how they feel about the business. If the main person was to become ill all of a sudden, especially now, I mean, there are all sorts of stories of people who seemingly very healthy, who've gotten very, very ill and passed away. It's not an everyday occurrence that you have it, but it's a concern and it makes employees feel better to know that there is a plan.
0: And the family as well.
1: Well, of course, the, 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 <laughs> the family definitely needs to know there's a plan in place. I try to encourage people when they do get their plans in place, whether it's personal or business, to let the key people know. In a family, that's your heirs or obviously children, maybe grandchildren even. But in a business, yeah, certainly your key employees at least.
0: One of the other challenges that is happening with COVID-19 is lack of revenue.
1: Certainly, right.
0: And this is a situation where suddenly, as I mentioned before, all the fine print and the dirty details in the contract come very important. And we're in a situation now where a lot of businesses have been mandatorily stopped and they are not allowed to be open for business. And yet Mm -hmm. they still have bills to pay. They still have employees to pay. They still have all these expenses. One of the things that's come up in some circles is the idea of Being able to say... These are circumstances beyond our control, acts of God, Mother Nature, whatever you wish to put it. Is there something that in a contract that business owners should take a look at as a possible starting place for a conversation with their creditors?
1: Oh certainly. And that goes back to the fine print issue you you, you were mentioning <laughs> earlier. Often in that fine print you'll find a provision that has a word that people may not understand. It's called force majeure. Mm. A lot of people look at that and say, you know, what in the world's that? But really Really, it's a provision designed to deal with circumstances like we have now and have had in the past. Right now seems a little like the most probably severe example of it in my lifetime of 60 years, but it allows you to suspend performance if there's an act of God. A pandemic, it's clearly an act of God. You can argue about whether. Our government could have slowed it down more than they have, but it would have come here nonetheless. I think there's no question about that. It allows you to go to your landlord or the bank and say, hey, I can't perform because of this. My revenues are down, say, 50%. I'd like to keep my employees employed, but I need to defer this arrangement for a while. And you're seeing a fair amount of voluntary offers, for example, by by banks. I was just looking at my mortgage the other day, and I wasn't looking for this, but it said the top of the page, have you been affected at all by the coronavirus or words that effect? And I click, <laughs> sure. I click yes. Sure, I said, Your mortgage is deferred for three months. No further action. Wow. It's like, well, okay. But that actually is a good example, though, of even larger institutions recognizing that this is an act of God. It is the type of event where you can suspend performance. And those acts of God, there's wartime issues on force majeure, which we haven't had in this country in a long time probably since World War II, really, Right. but any of those kind of matters that are truly outside of your control. With one caveat, I want to say, you do need to read the provision. Provisions are different. They aren't all just saying, oh, act, act of God, you get to suspend performance. Some are very specific as to what constitutes a force majeure event. Hmm. It's not just one type of form, catch-all kind of form. You do need to review the contract, and if it doesn't make sense to you, drop off your friendly, experienced lawyer who will be happy to look at it and tell you if it applies to your circumstances.
0: And for Vision Your Nation, who would like to get in touch with you for that very reason, how do they do that?
1: Right now, I would probably suggest email, but but, but <laughs> generally they can uh, usually they can call our office, and we're working during these times at least half time during the days. The telephone number is uh, area code 661-316-3010. and email is bob at brumfield law group. My full last name, then the word law And, and how do you spell Brumfield? B R U M F I E L D.
0: Have you pulled your old computer out of mothballs and are trying to make it work during this COVID-19 quarantine? Are you having problems with system updates or viruses? How about questions about using Zoom? Have no fear. The highly trained staff at Bakersfield Bytes is here to serve you. As Kern County's number one rated computer repair store, your business's computers are in good hands. Need to upgrade your computer? No problem. Need a stronger network? No problem. Call Bakersfield Bytes at 661-496-5900 and keep the backbone of your business in tip-top shape. Call Bakersfield Bytes at 661-496-5900 or at bakersfieldbytes.com. That's bakersfieldbytes.com. We're here talking with Robert Brumfield, the owner of the Brumfield Law Group, and we're talking about the COVID-19 crisis that's going on. We've talked a little bit about force majeure and how that works and how that comes together. But one of the things that I want to take a step back on is for those who don't know you, this is not the first economic downturn you've worked through. In fact, what was your business or what was your practice looking like back in 2007?
1: 2007 there were a lot of real estate transactions going on not just residential not during the skyrocketing prices but there were lots of business sales business acquisitions a lot of commercial land purchases mm-hmm. leases a fair amount of of course <laughs> litigation work over those matters as when there's a lot of economic activity disputes seem to arise but there was a lot of that type of work going on and it was keeping everybody that I deal with, very, very busy. Mm
0: -hmm. And then 2008 happened. Mm -hmm. Right. And how did things change?
1: Well, you started discussing insolvency issues (laughs) and uh, and, uh, possible bankruptcy issues a lot. Uh Because we really, now we're talking about force majeure, that really would arguably not be a force majeure event because... Now you're seeing a disease. Right. And that clearly is an act of God or something unanticipated. And in the 2007 through 2009, it was a financial failure. Right. Almost right at the systemic base of the financial institutions. And I remember back, I forget the exact brokerage they were talking about, but anyway, there was a discussion if they failed, what the cascading effects that would be on the banking and finance industries. And a couple of them did fail and or merged, but we were able to get out of it, thank heavens. But that was a financial crisis. Look, in retrospect, primarily created by the financial institutions. Right. But so that shifted a lot of people's practice areas. The number of transactions dropped. Of course, there was a lot of workouts with lenders, people who owe, you owed money to, workout mm-hmm. arrangements to alter the terms. It could result in having a lot of the same effects legally Now, with coronavirus, the same Mm. kind of things we may be confronting here, but right now, at least, people seem to be working with each other quite well, I would say.
0: But like you mentioned, one of the things is the end result could be the same.
1: Right, it could be, sure.
0: And what are some of those parallels that you could see if the coronavirus pandemic becomes extended? What are some of those similarities between the last recession and this current recession that you could see that business owners and business leaders need to pay attention for and watch out for so they can be prepared for it?
1: Well, it's a great time to take stock in all of your contractual arrangements, whatever they may be, because they're going to be changed in some way, whether it's you and I sitting at the opposite end of a table and passing documents six feet away to each other (laughs) while wearing those blue Stirlight gloves and wearing a mask for the foreseeable future, just simple things like that, but that aside, there could very well be significant economic constriction and i don 't mean just looking at wall street you know wall street 's generally a predictor of what 's going to come right it 's not really necessarily exactly what 's happening at that moment. They try to predict things, so that 's not really business business is, is what you or I do on a daily basis. I'm very concerned here locally about a number of the small businesses. We've had a real boom, for example, in really fine dining that we never had before. Some very creative places. A lot of these places I know from other communities that I'm involved with, a lot of these people run on a bit of a shoestring budget. They're week to week, month to month. Some are more well-heeled than others. And I'm very concerned with what's going to come out of this for those small businesses. It probably will be a surge in bankruptcies. I've seen some writing about that already. Of course, as we speak, we're having a historic collapse in oil prices. Right. I mean, I don't think oil, I forget what it was yesterday. Here we are in late April and it was 10 bucks a barrel or something, or 15 bucks a barrel for our current county oil. 20 years ago, I recall it getting down to about eight bucks a barrel or something like that. Right, it was right. very low then. And that caused a cascading of effects from the people who work for the oil companies. All the way to the large companies, because large companies would furlough people. Right. And small companies then don't have the customers coming in like right now.
0: Like you mentioned before one of the first things that a business owner needs to do is take stock of where they're at. And because whether they like it, a lot of us are in self-imposed quarantine. So we actually have a moment to do this. And then the second thing is to give somebody like you a call to go over their contracts and take a look at the fine print, see if there's a force majeure in there, and then take the next steps for planning the future and how they're going to look when this whole pandemic and the quarantines have been lifted. Absolutely.
1: Those, Those are two vital things that you need to do. I think the legal industry is really well positioned to help out with those matters. I've done a number of workouts over the years when businesses have had other financial troubles, not just caused by pandemic or the financial collapse of a little over 10 years ago. And those matters can be worked through without having to close and go through a bankruptcy proceeding. You can work them out. And I've generally found that using a lawyer as opposed to say a debt reduction company or debt settlement company is a better way to go. Why is that? I think that your lawyer or a lawyer you're referred to is going to keep your personal interest a little more at heart. Mm. They aren't just in it totally on a dollar and cents level as to what the company can do, but they're there for you personally. Mm-hmm. At least the way I practice, one of the things that I find very important is to get to know my client. I think that initial conversation where you find out where they're from, what they like to do, issues beyond what their business is, is very important to establishing that kind of rapport. And you don't necessarily become best friends with all your clients. Of course not. But it does result in some lasting friendships and it builds a certain level of trust where you can tell them things that they might not want to hear, but it's a lot easier to tell them if you have a nice level of trust
0: with them. And that trust begins with a relationship. Exactly. How does a business owner go through an interview and choose the right lawyer for them?
1: That's a very good question. You have to, if I was sitting in the business owner's shoes talking to someone like me and they've never met me before, they need to find out, well, obviously, they believe the lawyer has some expertise, or so they wouldn't be sitting there, number one. Right. They don't necessarily need to quiz a lawyer about their qualifications. Someone who's been practicing 20, 30, 40 years, obviously, is and they have an office, they're obviously doing well enough to keep things moving along. And so those kind of questions are sort of self-answerable. I think the personal level, they, they need to make sure that they, for lack of a better word, hit it off with the lawyer and the lawyer staff. Mm. Because... A lot of times the paralegal or legal secretary is going to be the one carrying on a fair amount of the communication with the client just because they're the front person answering the phone. Besides the fact that that person can do some of the tasks more economically than the lawyer can, they have to be comfortable with the office itself physically and they have to be comfortable with the people. So if I was a client, that matters to me most. You can tell I'm a relationship person. But that kind of thing, if I was, the shoes were on the other other foot and I was the client, I'd probably be looking at some of the same things that I look at the client as being their lawyer. Right. I don't want to work for someone that... I just know that I can't get along with. That's just not going to be good for both of you,
0: right? The reason I ask this is because you were heavily involved, or still are heavily involved, the Kern County Bar Association. True, and you've had the privilege of seeing your cohorts in crime and taking a look at some discussions and some questions that have been brought up against some of your colleagues and mm-hmm. whatnot. Mm-hmm. From your experience of being a part of the Kern County Bar Association, what are some of the common pitfalls that you see business owners who choose an attorney don't pay attention to that leads them into trouble?
1: Once you've hired a lawyer that you have a level of trust with, business owner really needs to take heed of their advice. The lawyers aren't just You know, they aren't just telling you stuff to generate time and generate billings to you. They're telling you things for the most part and that are really in your best interest. You know, a lot of people think that the lawyers are just being cynical or pointing out things that are killing a transaction or another business matter or making their lives more difficult, but that's really not true. I would say that the vast, vast majority of lawyers I've ever dealt with are very nice people very competent, and they really want to do what's in your best interest. They're not there just to take advantage of you financially. I certainly would not say that that's true of 100% of people. It never is. But on balance, I would say that the legal profession is a very high quality, honest, ethical group of people. And I would stack that up favorably, I think, against any business. And I would say even more so. And part of it, I, I think, is too. Most lawyers take very seriously the ethical rules that the State Bar and American Bar Association have in place. And those are there for a reason, perhaps to remind those who are ethical of what they are. And those who may have fallen below the line, remind them a little more strongly what they are. <laughs> but, uh, but those rules are there for a reason, for the public protection. I think lawyers take it very, very seriously.
0: Engineers! John F. Kennedy said a rising tide floats all ships. Rise your business to the top by posting at least three pictures or posts of your favorite local small business this month while tagging you, the business leader, and the Small Business Celebration podcast or myself, Michael Roberts, on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Not only will we recognize you and share your posts to our over 4,000 small business connections, but we'll also be able to recognize you and the visioner you have tagged as well. Have fun and gain recognition for your business for free. Post at least three selfies this month with you and your favorite local small business while tagging you, the business leader, and the Small Business Celebration podcast or myself, Michael Roberts, on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook today. We're here with Robert Brumfield, the owner of Brumfield Law Group. And one of the things that you really enjoy doing is skiing. Yes. And it's alpine skiing, not cross-country skiing.
1: I've tried cross-country skiing. I'd like to, I would think I'm going to have to get better at it as I get a little bit older. That's, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> not quite as dangerous. <laughs>
0: well, that is true. I, I, I'm a big fan of biathlon myself, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's always fun to watch, especially when the Olympics come around to see mm-hmm. that caliber. But, it is. But skiing... Alpine skiing is a fascinating sport because on the surface it's a very individual sport. And you and I have both skied at Mammoth mm-hmm. countless times. One of my favorite runs to to jump off of is Cornice, which is the only double diamond run there at the top of the mountain, and it's literally a cliff that you can jump off of.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it used to be a, a real cliff, but till they till they uh, developed a. Better grooming techniques. (laughs) Some of us called it
0: cheating, Yeah, right, right, yeah. (laughs) But on the surface, alpine skiing seems like a very individualistic sport because it's just you and the mountain. Mm -hmm. But in skiing, you've got obstacles, not just the moguls that are on the slope for you to go around, but you also have other people. You have trees. You have whatever wildlife happens to fly past you or Mm -hmm. run past you and that sort of thing. How has your experience in the sport of skiing affected the way that you approach your practice? When you
1: ski, you really have to, in some respects, plan your way down the slope. Mm. Because you get to the top of a lift and you have a break while you put on your poles because you have to take them off when you're riding the lift up. And you sort of, a couple of quick assessments, Uh, you look at the number of people that are around you just to see Sometimes you see someone has struggled getting on and getting off the lift. You think, I'm not going to ski near that person. (laughs) I'm going to make sure to avoid them because I don't think they can ski. So you do a basic assessment of your surroundings. And then when you head off down the hill, that continuing assessment occurs. Mm. You have to because there are people who will ski faster, a lot faster than you, even if you may be skiing pretty quickly. Some people will be reckless and you have to watch for them, and uh, you have to look for snowboarders. A lot of skiers don't give snowboarders a bad name, but part of it is because the way a snowboarder skis, they generally can only see at, really at one side of their field of vision because right. their, their feet are in line, so they can only look to, say, their right or their left. So if you have to be on the backside of a snowboarder, he or she might decide to turn right towards you. So one thing I always do is whether they can hear me or not, I don't know if they're listening to music, I always, if I'm approaching someone and passing on their backside, I always let them know I'm there. Right. And I presume they can hear me. I've really never, I can't say never, but hardly ever have had one, a snowboarder turn into me. Right. So it's really a constant effort of adjusting to your circumstances mm-hmm. and always evaluating your circumstances. Which clearly applies whether it's a business plan or an estate plan. How so? Well, every so often, and what I try to do is after someone comes in and we complete an estate plan, we get it all done. I tell them that I'm going to put them on my calendar for typically three years. We're going to contact them to see if they have any changes that need to be made. What I found is that every... Three to five years or so, people want to make a change to their estate plan. Because their business has changed. Or their business have changed. Or their business plan, if you've worked on a business plan for them. Things have changed. Whether it's on the personal side, whether it's grandkids. Or maybe one of the children have, have passed away. Maybe they've acquired other assets, disposed of assets. Things change. People's right. lives aren't static. That's an important part of the continuing reassessment. And we do our best to remind people... Of those changes, whether it's a simple reminder that a state filing for their corporation is coming due. Just shoot them an email says, hey, by the way, your annual filing for this is coming up. And they'll either say, oh, great, I'll get it done, or hey, can you do it for me? <laughs> and it's just a way to stay in touch with people, not just to generate work, but it helps you continue that relationship and that continuing planning effort.
0: Back to the skiing analogy. Mm-hmm. We've talked uh, I about. Kn- I
1: knew you get back to skiing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: I love skiing. Yeah, it's and a, it's and a and great, it, it, fun. it's a great event, great sport.
0: And it's different though. Skiing becomes more complex when you're skiing with a partner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How does skiing with a partner change your perspective when you're not doing it alone?
1: Well, a lot of people obviously ski with, say, one of their their best buddies. Or in my case, I ski with my wife a lot. And I'm not going to say I'm a better skier than her. I generally ski a little faster than her. But I'm usually somewhat on the watch for them too. Hmm. And I don't want her to get in a bad position Or if there's just a bunch of crazy skiers around, I can say, Hey, why don't you, why don't you go in front of me and I'll ski behind you? That way I'm a little bit of a bigger block than she is (laughs) in case someone's out of control. But she has had a couple of circumstances where she's been clipped by skiers or snowboarders. And when you're going along skiing, it it doesn't feel good to fall in that hard snow. No, Uh, snow is harder than people who aren't uh, (laughs) skiers may think it is. It's they may call
0: it powder, but it's not soft. it, (laughs)
1: it, it, It doesn't feel that good to fall. It doesn't feel good to fall anywhere. You know, it's an issue of. Not only the friendship and the camaraderie of having someone there with you, but there's a little bit of a a protection angle. And I think whether you're skiing with a buddy or your spouse, you both generally look out for each other. It's an important thing to do, especially if you're skiing backcountry. There can be very dangerous circumstances where there could be deep powder and you may need help getting out if you say fall. And if you're not there with someone, you may not get out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Your business, your practice, I should Mm -hmm. say, has been 36 years. Yeah, hard to believe. (laughs) (laughs) But through that, you've gone through many changes with your practice. And the reason I bring up the skiing analogy for skiing with a partner is you had a partner or you were with partners Mm -hmm. several years ago. Mm -hmm. Then Mammoth came along or the idea for Mammoth and something changed. What happened? How did it change? And more importantly, how does it affect the way you do business moving forward?
1: Well, a few years ago... We'd started spending more and more time in Mammoth. We've always been skiers, of course, but we've also loved to backpack in the Sierras and do a fair amount of hiking and some road biking. And we've known a number of people, even from the Bakersfield area, that who relocated to Mammoth, Mammoth Lakes. And they're working. They're not just retired. They're not wealthy, retired people. They're working every day. So you got to know the community a little bit. And I found it to be a fascinating community. You know, a lot of successful small businesses, a younger business population than than where we are here in Bakersfield. You know, the established businesses, a lot of people are in their 35, 45 age range. You know, we're here, it might be 10, 20 years older. And so it was a very interesting situation. And then a friend of mine up in Mammoth, local lawyer, he became a judge up in Mono County. And he had been the general counsel to the Mammoth Lakes Chamber of Commerce. And he said, hey, you know, I can't do this anymore because it would be a conflict because I'm a judge. I can't, I can't really advise them. Would you be willing to step in to be the general counsel for the Mammoth Lakes Chamber of Commerce? And I said, sure, that's not like a fun thing to do. Get to know a nice group of people, a new business community well, it really took off from there. I'm still in that role, going on three to four years. The number of issues they rely, they send my way and rely on my advice has grown, and it's also made me appreciate the community even more as I've gotten to know it. So, what ended up uh, up happening is that I approached my partners at at the time, or partner, I guess at the time, and said, "Hey, I, I'm going to open up an office up in Mammoth. I think I'm going to do it. I think it's a great opportunity. The number of lawyers is, for some reason." decreasing by way of really retirement primarily. Sure. And the people weren't coming in to replace it. So I thought, well, that's a good opportunity probably for legal work as well. Plus it's a beautiful area. So the discussion went okay. There was a little bit of resistance, but I said, no, I really think this is a great idea and I, I want to do it. So I took it on myself. It was still part of the firm, but it was on myself. I covered the expenses and opened up an office. For reasons that I never, never quite understood, my younger partners didn't like it. And they apparently harbored some sort of resentment about it that they didn't make clear to, to a fair amount of time later. And it ended up, they didn't want, want me to do it. And I said, I think this is a wonderful opportunity and I'm going to do it. The firm ended up splitting up. And that obviously, that's not a huge major reason. I don't think it was one of the reasons. So I have expanded on that now. I'm now involved in the Mammoth Lakes Board of Realtors and it's opened up many, many, new doors of friendships and opportunities because after about you can pick your time frame whatever you want to say 20 30 years in the same business community and this is a wonderful business community i know you're involved in it as well and it's it's a great business community mm-hmm. after a while you know you think i think i understand how this business community works and there're certainly opportunities you can pursue even though you've been somewhere a long time but it was really refreshing to have a completely new business slant. The businesses up there, of course, are resort-driven right. for the most part. So it really added a whole new group of friends and clients that I never would have had if I hadn't pursued that. But I think long-term, it's going to be very good. And I'm really glad I made the decision that this is something that I needed to do. Now, I will tell the the, the Visionary Nation that I did vet this out with a number of friends and business groups that I was involved in. You didn't in. just wake no. up
0: one day and jump into it?
1: No, no. It was it was brought up in a business group, discussed. Everyone in that group, probably 10, 15 people, agreed it made sense and sounded like a really good opportunity. So I didn't just pop out of bed one morning and say, hey, I'm doing this, guys. <laughs> See you later. It was well thought out. This whole planning issue on uh, business planning, personal planning, planning while you ski I was, certainly would encourage you to at least get out your uh, pros and cons list before you make a decision like that. And certainly bounce it off whoever your best business friends are or peers are, because they may tell you you're crazy. And, and if a balance people tell you you're crazy, well, maybe you are. I would certainly encourage you to vet something before you do
0: it. But there's also one key element to all this that I want to make sure we point out. How old were you when you made this decision?
1: Well, let's see. As we sit here, I'm 61. So we're 2020. So about 2016 was when the decision was first. first so you're half, about so f- 55, 56, 57 years old.
0: Okay. Just want to make sure everybody knows that you weren't 23. No, no. Regardless of your age. You can still make major changes, major positive changes to your business regardless of how old you are because if you want to use the excuse that, well, I'm too old to change or I'm too old to try something new, well, Bob – you can speak differently.
1: Yeah, it's, that's exactly tr- exactly right. And you know, I'm not one of those people who looks at things saying, ah, well, I failed at this or I failed at that. If you know, I look at it as perhaps may- maybe you made a mistake and I need to learn from it and move forward. And that's sort of how I take things that happen. I also think that if you really believe something and you have some, you know, maybe not just your little belief yourself, but some solid reasons for doing it, go for it. It doesn't matter if you're 60, 70, 80, whatever you think. You definitely should make that move if it feels right.
0: Bob, this has been a real pleasure. Thank you very much for being on the Small Business Celebration podcast and honoring us with your truth and your wisdom, and we appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. It was a lot of fun. Have you pulled your old computer out of mothballs and are trying to make it work during this COVID-19 quarantine? Are you having problems with system updates or viruses? How about questions about using Zoom? Have no fear. The highly trained staff at Bakersfield Bites is here to serve you. As Kern County's number one rated computer repair store, your business's computers are in good hands. Need to upgrade your computer? No problem. Need a stronger network? No problem. Call Bakersfield Bytes at 661-496-5900 and keep the backbone of your business in tip-top shape. Call Bakersfield Bytes at 661-496-5900 or at bakersfieldbytes.com. That's bakersfieldbytes.com. Who is a visioneer? A visioneer is a small business leader who is a pioneer that has vision. A visioneer is someone willing to see the world, not as it is, but as it could be, and is willing to do something about it. A visioneer is ethical, smarter, faster, and leaner than the mainstream competition. A visioneer gives value first because visioneers are in business for the long haul. Visioneers understand the difference between saving money and earning a profit. Visioneers define their destiny. Visioneers create their own luck. Visioneers surround themselves with successful, like-minded people. Visioneers are renegades who defy the mainstream competition and are ready to change the world. Are you a Visioneer? Join the Visioneer tribe at Small Business Celebration on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram today. Thank you for listening to the Small Business Celebration podcast. Some of today's music was brought to you by Ted Hammond, and you might find more of Ted's music at ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. That's ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. If you enjoyed this episode and gained some insight from it for your business, subscribe to the Small Business Celebration podcast at iTunes.com forward slash Small Business Celebration and give us a five-star review. Also, if there's a business you'd like us to interview, reach out to us on LinkedIn and Facebook and let us know. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Roberts of the Small Business Celebration podcast, and we wish you a strong and profitable business.